Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I'm honored to welcome back to the program Dr. Ryan Anderson, the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. We're going to be discussing the new book he has written with Alexandra DeSanctis called Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. That's a great descriptive title, and we'll obviously have a lot to talk about on this topic. Welcome back, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and uh, thanks for having me back. It's good to see you again. Yes, sir. Well, of course, I do want to talk about your new book, Tearing Us Apart. Uh, But before we dive into that, I'd like to follow up briefly with the last conversation you and I had on this Mm -hmm. program, in which we discussed a prior book of yours called When Harry Became Sally. You described what was happening in our country as our transgender moment. And in light of the ever-amplifying anti-reality going on, I wanted to ask you if you think our transgender moment is going to persist for more than just a moment. Yes and no. I mean, it all it all depends on you know how how long you define a moment. I think it doesn't have staying power. It's not here forever. It's not quote the right side of history. It's not the long term future. I think it's really up to people like you and me and our listeners to make the moment as short as possible. But you know, in the past year since since we last um, spoke on this podcast, there have been promising signs. Right, more and more um, kind of mainstream journalists are willing to cover at least the pediatric gender transitions and how there's no science to back it up. More and more European clinics, clinics in the UK, clinics uh, in Central Europe and Western Europe are shutting down their pediatric gender clinics, right? I mean, the, the countries are shutting down the pediatric gender clinics. Some of the people who pioneered the transgender procedures for kids are having second thoughts about them. That's all taking place in a post-Christian Europe. And yet right now, the Biden administration is like doubling down on transgender ideology. Um, And and so, you know, um, know, the the old saying was that, you know, Europe sneezes and America catches a cold. And that what happens in Europe happens um, in the States a decade later. And so I wonder if, you know, right now what we're seeing on some of the transgender stuff is just a lag that, you know, these things were pioneered a decade ago in Europe. It's now happening in the States. But five to 10 years from now, um, we'll start having the second thoughts. Um, you know, there are courageous people like Abigail Schreier um, who have been speaking out on this. Um, J.K. Rowling has spoken out, at least as applied to kids and as applied um, to athletics. Um, you know, Andrew Sullivan as applied to kids, as applied to athletics. So there aren't enough people willing um, to take on everything. Uh, so I think it's important that some of us just stand for what the truth of the matter is. But we are finding both political and cultural allies um, uh, when it comes to athletics, private spaces, and children. And that's a start, right? Because, I mean, I think ultimately we want this moment to be very short. Um, and we want this movement, this ideology um, to go away because it's harmful. Yes, sir. Well, I take encouragement uh, that you still find an end in sight Uh, just two days ago as we're recording this on the 7th of august 2022 every single democrat in the united states senate voted against 
a simple statement that affirms the biological reality that among human beings, only females, that is, with ovaries and a womb, can become pregnant. So however crazy we think things have gotten, the crazy train keeps rolling. So I'm encouraged that you think this will end before too long. It won't persist indefinitely. Well, uh, here we go with a smooth transition. Dr. Ryan Anderson's previous book, When Harry Became Sally, was banned by Amazon. And now he and his co-writer, Alexander DeSanctis, have written about a totally non-controversial topic, abortion, with tearing us apart. So, Dr. Anderson, given that your research is time-consuming, given that it's very labor-intensive to put together a book like this, uh, why do you put in this work for topics that are going to get you backlash and heat? I think the short answer is that it's my vocation. Um, you know, this is this is my fifth book, um, and it's a pro-life book. It's very explicitly, I mean, the subtitle of the book is Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing, and that's, you know, our bottom line um, conclusion about uh, the reality of abortion. Um, it's my fifth book, and I think even with that title, it might be my least controversial book, which really says something. You know, the first book I wrote was titled, What is Marriage? Man and Woman, a Defense. Then there was a book on marriage and religious liberty, then a book on religious liberty and discrimination, then the book on transgender ideology that you mentioned, and now the pro-life book. And um, the reason why, you know, you ask, you know, why, why do this is, you know, I just um, very clearly have... Um, the sense, the determination, the conclusion that, like, this is my vocation, um, to take very sensitive, difficult, controversial topics where an important truth is at stake, right? I mean, there are important truths about marriage, about religious liberty, about the human person as embodied male or female, and about the dignity of the human person in the womb, um, that every one of our grandparents took to be common sense, self-evident truths, right? None of our grandparents needed a book to um, explain to them that marriage was the union of husband and wife, or that religious liberty was a foundational American principle, or that we're embodied as male or female, or that the child in the womb is a child in the womb, right? Every one of our grandparents took that as common sense, self-evident. In our postmodern culture, all of those claims are controversial, right? You go on an elite college camp. I was an undergrad at Princeton. Um, I think the way that I discerned my vocation here was that I had classmates who didn't just disagree with me. They couldn't even understand why I believe what I believe, right? So we couldn't even like really achieve real disagreement because like, we couldn't even communicate that there, you know, there was a barrier. And so, you know, I had set out in all the books that I've written to, to write the type of book that they could at least find understandable, right? I, I, I'm not naive. We're not going to persuade the hardcore secularist activists on the left, but I want them to at least understand that there's a rationality here. There's an intelligibility. Um, and then, I mean, the other, you know, intended audience, you know, are probably our listeners right now to better understand the, the truth of the matter. I, I don't want any of our listeners thinking that, you know, the, the, the position that they hold might not actually be the fullness of truth, might not actually be um, the truth about human nature, the human person, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I work within a philosophical um, tradition um, showing the harmony of faith and reason. Right. So the, I'm not a, a, a biblical exegete. I'm not a theologian. There are people doing important work, on the revealed theology and biblical truths on many of the questions I just mentioned, I try to show from philosophy, from natural law thinking, from sociology, from various scientific disciplines, 
that there's no contradiction. In fact, these things go hand in hand because I, I think that unity of faith and reason is more necessary now in American culture probably than ever before. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I want to equip, you know, our listeners to be able to have the conversations because, I mean, right now, especially with Dobbs overturning Roe and Casey, we all have a job. Um, I think there's a universal vocation right now of bearing witness to the truth, um, the truth about that unborn child, the the dignity, the worth, the value of that unborn child, and therefore the necessity of legal reform, right? We've had other legal reform mov- movements in America. Right now, we're in another moment. So, so when you ask me, you know, why do I do this? It's a deep sense of calling, right? This is what, you know, this is what, you know, I was created to do. Um, and, you know, I actually find joy in it. It's, it's, it's enjoyable. You're, you're, you said it's a lot of work. It is. Uh, but I think when you're doing hard work um, on issues that matter, where it's your vocation, you can actually get a deep sense of satisfaction and joy from it. I'm thankful you've answered that call. And it is valuable uh, for me and uh, reading your books and hopefully for the listeners who will pick up copies of your books. Um, of course, you mentioned that our grandparents didn't need a book, but they did have one. It is the Bible. It tells us that marriage is husband plus wife. It tells us that uh, in the womb, he knew us. Uh, so uh, even though you're not a uh, theologian, uh, you do connect the dots and, and bring yeah. it into, okay, from the world's view outside of the scripture, it matches because scripture is truth and it undergirds everything. So that's really great. Yeah. Uh, so this topic of abortion, of course, is one that we could discuss for days, but I really appreciate that in your book, Tearing Us Apart, you and Alexander have organized things very effectively into different areas that abortion does harm. And some of those are obvious, like it harms the unborn child because they die, but other areas might be less obvious to our listeners. Uh, some of those might be that it harms medicine. You make that case. It harms the rule of law. That's a very interesting thing they should read about. Today, I really want to focus about uh, one of your chapters called Abortion Harms Equality and Choice. So heads up, listeners. Spoiler alert. Planned Parenthood is one of the most racist organizations in the history of humanity. And when Dr. Anderson proves that abortion harms choice, you're going to learn that Planned Parenthood and the pro-abortionists are actually even worse than you thought. So, Ryan, could you give us an overview of how abortion harms equality? Sure. Let's go back um, to the very roots of Planned Parenthood with its foundress, uh, Margaret Sanger. Uh, and, you know, up until just a few years ago, Planned Parenthood was still giving out the Margaret Sanger Award. It was their highest honor. Hillary Clinton was a you know former recipient of the Margaret Sanger Award. Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist. Um, and back then, what Planned Parenthood and Sanger were doing, this is actually before abortion really came onto the scene. It was through contraception that they were trying to uh, both contracept and sterilize populations that we, quote, don't want too many of. And the reason I quote that phrase of populations that we don't want too many of, that was then what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said in an interview um, just before she passed away, where she was describing the Roe v. Wade decision. Now, it's unclear from context if she was saying that's what she believed, that you know Roe was about populations that we don't want too many of, or if she was just describing what other people who supported Roe believed. But one way or the other... Um, Ginsburg was accurately describing some of the motivation, whether it was her motivation or the motivation of others. You know, we we don't have enough evidence from that interview. 
but there there was a push um, right at the heart of Planned Parenthood, a eugenics roots uh, to abortion. Um, t- today, um, more black babies are aborted in New York City than are born. Right, the womb is one of the most dangerous places uh, for a black American, and yet we don't hear. Um, uh, those who are concerned with civil rights, those who are concerned with equality, those who are, you know, anti-racists, et cetera, et cetera, speaking out against this. Um, and in fact, um, when people do try to speak out against this, they get sh- silenced and shouted down. Um, so that's one area, um, kind of the, the eugenics uh, race-based abortion. There's also sex-based abortion. There are millions of missing baby girls um, across the planet, um, and not just because of China's one-child policy or you know various um, um, uh, kind of Eastern cultures that prefer boys over girls. Even in Western nations, um, what, the euphemism is sex-selective abortion, as if you're selecting the sex of your child. What you're really doing is you're discriminating against the sex of your unborn daughters. I mean, it, 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 it's discriminatory abortion. And then the last um, uh, example I'll mention uh, um, in terms of equality uh, is um, uh, uh, people with disabilities. Um, you sometimes see these Orwellian um, headlines that say, Iceland eradicates Down syndrome, as if they found a cure for the genetic disease, when in reality what they have done is they've eradicated people uh, with Down syndrome, uh, by aborting all of the people diagnosed uh, with Down syndrome. And just one thing to add right there is that, you know, we know f- uh, from New York Times reporting that many of those um, genetic tests performed in utero are inaccurate. Um, so not only do we have, you know, discriminatory abortions going on, but many of them are based on flawed uh, underlying studies. And what a tragic mistake. Yes. No, it's 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 terrible. Um and you know what's so courageous are the parents who refuse. I mean, I I, um, I know uh, individuals who have been told by their physicians, "Your child has a genetic disorder. When do you want to schedule the abortion?" Uh, thankfully, they told the doctors to buzz off. They found new doctors. Um, they, they 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 carried their children to term. They loved their children, and then lo and behold, it turns out that that genetic test was wrong. But even if the genetic test was accurate, that doesn't undermine the dignity, the worth, the value of that child. Um, you know, people with disabilities, and this is, this is what is so um, corrosive of, of the underlying eugenic message of these forms of abortion, is that only certain people have worth, that there are certain lives unworthy of life, um, uh, to, to, to borrow the, the Nazi phraseology. Which was inspired by the same eugenics. Yes. There are are unfortunate some deep connections here. We refer to all three of these things as um, lethal discrimination in the room. Um, And and what we point out is that people who, people and organizations who normally are very vocal in condemning race-based discrimination, sex-based discrimination, and disability-based discrimination, they go silent when it comes to lethal discrimination on the basis of race, sex, and disability status 
in the womb. And in fact, they oppose laws that would prevent it, right? So we, we actually document in that third chapter of the book, various states, you know, before Roe and Casey were struck down just a few uh, weeks ago, states were trying to say, all right, well, within the Roe-Casey framework, can we at least say you can't discriminate against people based on their race, sex, or disability status? And Planned Parenthood and other um, pro-abortion groups worked against those laws. So that's how it harms um, equality. I believe listeners will be, if they don't already know these things, they will be shocked by some of the specifics that you draw out when you talk about yeah. this. Um, so, for example, uh, it's it's good. You, you quoted uh, something that uh, Sanger had said and something that Justice Ginsburg had said, which I hope shocks these liberals uh, if they ever hear these things that, you know, they practically worship RBG. But uh, along with Sanger, then some of the things, I mean, she was at this for a long time before Planned Parenthood, and it was all building up to that. In 1919, you say that she had a uh, essay called Birth Control and Racial Betterment. And then in that, she called for the elimination of the unfit. These are quotes. And she advocated, quote, to develop in America, a new race with a racial soul. And if you don't hear Hitler in that, listeners, you're not paying attention. He also wanted a new race. He called it Aryan, but she just called it white. Uh, so I found uh, in my research for this interview, Ryan Anderson, a Reuters fact check, because we need the other side, right? Uh, from as recent as May 9, 2022. And they claim, fact-checking you and us, that Margaret Sanger didn't actually mean the racist things that she said. They attempt to debunk this, the obvious intentions that she had. She deliberately focused her uh, birth control efforts, and you mentioned this was like she was into birth control uh, before Planned Parenthood was really into abortion, but she focused on the black communities even before Planned Parenthood do that. Uh, she had this approach she called, quote, the Negro Project. And she wrote about that project, quote, we do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population, unquote. Now, the fact checkers tell uninformed people that she couldn't possibly have meant what that sounds like. Even though, as you point out, Dr. Ryan Anderson, Planned Parenthood still has about 80% of all their abortion facilities located in black communities. So my question to you after all of that is, how is it possible for modern so-called liberals to defend these indefensible things and some people to continue to believe very obvious, provably false lies? Uh, a couple of thoughts there. I mean, like, uh, and, and, and good research digging that up because I mean, I, I think what this highlights is, um, you know, Jay Budashevsky, a, uh, um, a a Christian philosopher, you know, has written um, several really really profound books um, with great titles. You know, one is "What We Can't Not Know," one is "The Revenge of Conscience," and one is "Written on the Heart." And I think all three of those titles. Um, uh, get at what's going on here, right? 
th- th- their conscience is accusing them because there's a law written on the heart. There's something that they can't not know, and yet they need to justify it. Right. And so what you're seeing is that, you know, this is where you try to and and you see little kids do this. They know that what they've done is wrong. And so they're trying to come up with a justification, a rationalization for it to try to excuse it when they you know go to the parents and they try to come up with an excuse, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that's what's going on here. Uh, And I think you have people who have already reached the conclusion that they are pro-abortion and they are pro-Planned Parenthood. So then they have to go back to the history to try to justify uh, historical statements and historical realities um, that in today's light look bad. Uh, I also think an additional thing is going on is that whereas um, the original eugenic uh, roots and motivations for contraception and abortion have now been um, somewhat changed to like a humanitarian um, uh, motivation in which they're saying that well, it's good that 80% of Planned Parenthood clinics are located in predominantly black neighborhoods um, because black people need abortion, right? So it's not that we're trying to prevent, you know, too many children from populations that we don't want too many of. Like, that's no longer going to be the state justification. The justification is going to be, well, look, we are doing something that is charitable, that is like a form of humanitarianism um, by providing a service to a population that needs it. Uh, and I think that's how you would now see uh, the justification. And then I just think like, the question would be, all right, well, on any other area, if you had um, a, a subpopulation that, quote, needed to kill this high of a percent of their children, would we accept that? Or would we say the fact that so many um, Black mothers think they need abortion is a sign that we are failing the black family, that we are failing black women. Um, and that therefore it's not that we need to build more Planned Parenthoods, but we need to think about uh, what to do with absentee fathers, what to do with rebuilding um, a marriage culture, what to do um, uh, with, you know, recreating kind of a, a, uh, a culture of employment and of work and of work opportunities. I mean, there are all sorts of, discussions that could take place to figure out well, what are the underlying causes for why uh, we have these astronomically high um, abortion rates. And some of it's going to be economics, some of it's going to be marriage, some of it's going to be ideology. And then we could actually target those sorts of solutions, right? What's happening to uh, black working class jobs, right? And there are all sorts of debates. I don't have, um, you know, uh, uh, strong opinions about, you know, outsourcing jobs versus, you know, free trade stuff. I mean, like, but we could think about those things and we should be thinking about those things. And I know other organizations are thinking about those things. You know, what's going on with blue collar employment in America? What's going on with um, uh, the breakdown of the black family? Right? And we have some people at EPPC working on both of those uh, questions. Um, to my mind, that's actually what justice and equality would require of us. Uh, it wouldn't be saying, okay, well, let's build another Planned Parenthood in a predominantly black neighborhood since black women um, are saying that they need more abortion. Uh, it would be, well, why is it that they think they need abortion and how can we address those underlying causes so that they don't think they need abortion? I mean, the goal here is that both abortion would be illegal but also unthinkable. 
Uh, and that just shows how much work we have left to be done. Yes. Well, you mentioned uh, that it also harms choice, and I do want to get to that. But as we're wrapping up this look at how abortion harms equality, I want to really make sure that the listeners get the impact of some of what's mm. in your book. They need to buy your book. They need to read it. This is just one of seven uh, broad areas that they cover in the book, listeners. You mentioned in Tearing Us Apart that there was a predecessor organization to Planned Parenthood, and that organization had its own journal that they called the Birth Control Review. And you highlight that uh, Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was influenced by the socialist named Havelock Ellis, who had written a favorable review of a piece by another man named Lothrop Stoddard. So I'm just going to read from your book the title of the Stoddard piece. Now that we've established that it is in close alignment with the thoughts and the actions of Margaret Sanger and thus of Planned Parenthood leadership. Here it is, listeners. This is the kind of thing Planned Parenthood has been about since its founding. Quote, the rising tide of color against white world supremacy, unquote. Now, try to defend that, you Planned Parenthood fans. Meanwhile, uh, Dr. Ryan Anderson, you and Alexander DeSanctis wrote about how abortion harms equality because of children with disabilities uh, being targeted. You offer a quote I really want to include for our listeners uh, from a uh, French geneticist who had discovered the chromosomal basis for Down syndrome. His name was Jerome Lejeune. And he said, this is, this is so powerful. He said, quote, it cannot be denied that the price of these diseases like Down syndrome uh, is high. It's high in suffering for the individual and in burdens for the society. But Lejeune says, we can assign a value to that price. It is precisely what a society must pay to remain fully human, unquote. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So, <clears throat> you and Alexander also make a statement that would seem bold to many. Uh, hopefully, listeners won't be too surprised now. They, they get the drift of what you're saying, and it's true. But you devote half a chapter to this subheading, abortion supporters are not pro-choice. So, could you please expand on that thought? Sure. I mean, the, the, the easiest way um, to illustrate that for listeners today, um, uh, you know, we wrote the book before the Dobbs decision was announced and even before the opinion was leaked. I mean, we had to get this uh, to the publisher back in, in January. Um, look at what's happened since the leak. Look at the number of pro-life pregnancy resource centers that have been vandalized, um, that have been firebombed, uh, that have been otherwise attacked, um, you know, attempts to burn them to the ground. All that these clinics do, all that these centers do, is they provide resources for women who voluntarily come to them seeking to exercise a choice for life, right? Um, and so if you claim to be pro-choice, why is it that you're opposing clinics that actually provide a meaningful choice to women in need, uh, the choice to choose life, right? 
And what this reveals is that the other side is actually much more pro-abortion, right? There's one choice that they support, and the other choices they actually try to actively discourage and oppose. I mean, right now, as we're recording, um, I think it was just over this past weekend that Elizabeth Warren is still saying that she thinks that you know legislation should be introduced that would shut down pregnancy resource centers. I'm going to quote her on that, uh, Dr. Ryan Anderson, if you don't mind. Senator Elizabeth Warren she says, quote, of, of these pregnancy resource or crisis pregnancy centers, quote, we need to shut them down all around the country. You should not be able to torture a pregnant person like that, unquote. And by the way, note that she didn't say women. She said pregnant person because, of course, pregnant men person. can be pregnant hey. now, too, because the world has gone completely insane. No, it's and, and, and it's a perfect illustration. You should not be able to torture a, quote, pregnant person. We support several pregnancy resource centers, um, you know, where, where we currently live and where we've previously lived. You know, as we've gotten to know them, you know, we, we continue supporting them because they're not torturing anyone. Um, they are doing life-saving, life-giving um, uh, work. Uh, they're doing it on shoestring budgets. They're doing it frequently without any public funding, right? It's all charitable donations, uh, for the most part, that fund these centers, Um and they are transforming lives. They're not torturing anyone. I mean, people who go to pregnancy resource centers are going there on their own initiative, their own volition. Um, it's not as if they're, you know, kidnapping women, taking them to the pregnancy resource centers and torturing them. People go there um, knowing that they have a unplanned pregnancy or a difficult pregnancy or just a pregnancy that they need support with. And they're greeted first with love. Um, I mean, I, I don't think we could overstate just the role of actual humanity here um, to actually have another human being who cares about you, who loves you, who is there to assist you. They're then provided with various forms of material resources. Um, one of the pregnancy resource centers that we support then will, for the first two years after birth, provide housing for both mother and baby. And then during those first two years, work to find them permanent housing, employment, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so the idea that, you know, a sitting senator would say that what these centers do is, quote, torture is just outrageous. But it does highlight that pro-abortion activists, um, you know, the reason I'm saying that they're pro-abortion, not pro-choice, what does Elizabeth Warren actually propose to do to help those women to choose life? Right? It's, Planned Parenthood isn't doing those things. They're not housing women for two years after giving birth. They're not providing women with diapers, with prenatal uh, checkups, et cetera, et cetera. Um, these pregnancy resource centers are. Yes, sir. And listeners, by the way, a uh, couple of episodes back, I interviewed the executive director of one of those uh, crisis pregnancy or pregnancy resource centers, uh, Nicole Farley of Hope Unlimited. You can get a lot mm -hmm. more detail in that episode of the kind of help that they provide. Uh, and it, it lines up completely with what Dr. Anderson just described. Well, at the conclusion of your book, Dr. Ryan Anderson, you quote a woman who had conceived a child before going on birth control and didn't know until later that she was pregnant. Her husband had talked her into aborting the child, and she described that in part, and I want to quote this, it's really powerful, and I assume this may be where you all took your title from. She said, quote, going into the clinic, that hollow, hollow feeling in the pit of your stomach, I didn't want to look anyone in the eye, 
the sound of that stupid machine, I, I'm sure I had a suction abortion. I was crying out. The doctor was rushing. It seemed like he was just tearing me apart, unquote. And that, that's so devastating. And of course, the child was literally being torn apart. In April of 2019, Planned Parenthood leaders admitted under oath that they do, in fact, harvest parts from babies. Our mind listeners of a headline from the Daily Mail in an article sourced to the Associated Press on the 21st of July, 2015, quote, new Planned Parenthood video shows Dr. haggling over prices for aborted fetuses, talking about what she called crunchy methods and her hopes of buying a Lamborghini, unquote. So the the British put more descriptive titles on their articles in the Daily Mail, but that was the actual headline. Now, do you suppose, Ryan, that many people have become desensitized to the actual horror of murdering babies, especially given the sort of euphemistic language used to discuss it? Unfortunately, yes. Um, and, and I just think, um, without a doubt, unfortunately, yes. Um, one of the things that we know um, is that the law teaches. This is, you know, within the philosophical jargon, it's called the pedagogical function of law. Pedagogy just being the big word for teaching. Um, 49 and a half years of Roe v. Wade, of Planned Parenthood v. Casey, has now taught two generations of Americans that abortion um, isn't a big deal that abortion's not a moral wrong, it's a constitutional right. Um, and that has desensitized a lot of people. There's that law written on the heart. There are those truths that we can't not know. Our conscience is you know, having its revenge, and yet we have to suppress it. We have to deny that we know things that we actually know. We have to deny the law written on the heart. Uh, that's where you see the euphemisms. That's where you see the legislative attempts to silence um, uh, the, the pro-life pregnancy centers. You see big big tech and big media, uh, social media trying to censor various pro-life groups on Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, that they can't let the truth get out. And for some people, they've desensitized themselves to the truth. Uh, other people have never actually been exposed to it. I mean, this is in the very last chapter of the book, we talk about, you know, the problem with the social media censorship is that if you live in your cocoon and it's, you know, a largely secular liberal cocoon, you may never actually be presented with the arguments that are in our book. You know, that our listeners right now, because they're listening to, to you, they're listening to this podcast, um, they're hearing these things. But if you're on a steady diet of like CNN, MSNBC, and then the self-selected social media echo chambers because of who you choose to follow and who they choose to retweet, you may never encounter this stuff. Um, so I think it's a combination of desensitization and then just ignorance. Um, and, and that's why it's so important um, that you and I equip our listeners to then have conversations with friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers who don't already agree with us, right? Because my, my guess is that most people listening to this podcast already agree with us, but they have relationships with people who don't already agree with us. And so they actually need to be the, the, um, the, 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 the kind of the, the emissary, right? They need to be the one that takes the message to the next person who needs to hear it. 
Uh, and, and that's a big motivation in, in the work that I do is to try to equip people, to empower people to then take it to the next person. Well, thank you for that work. And listeners, I hope that you will follow up and uh, share. By the way, listeners, uh, we've heard Dr. Ryan Anderson mention the law written on the heart. If you want to know more about that, uh, it's in the book of Jeremiah and the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, well, as we conclude, I, uh, I want to ask you about the current events, the fact that the Dobbs decision did correct the error of Roe v. Wade, where they had invented this non-existent right to abortion. My question is that since Dobbs sent the question back to the states, how do you suppose that will, if at all, change abortion in America? So unfortunately, I think we're going to see, uh, actually, the past week is a, um, is, is a very vivid illustration of this. We're going to see both democratic uh, success and democratic failure. Uh, so Kansas, uh, citizens went to the poll, uh, and unfortunately, they voted to uphold a very, very bad, wrongly decided state court ruling that created a state constitutional right to abortion. Uh, some of that was because the wording of the ballot initiative question was unclear. Some of it was because of mainstream media lie. Some of it was because we were outspent. There are lots of reasons that you can give. Uh, but at the end of the day, the pro-life side lost that vote. But then just a week later, so this was you know just, just four or five days ago, Indiana, the governor, signs into law a good pro-life bill. It's not perfect, but it's good enough that uh, experts are predicting that it will... Um, uh, prevent 95% of the elective abortions that were taking place in Indiana. Uh, and a 95% improvement, again, it's not 100%, so it's not, per- but that's pretty good. That's that's progress. And, and that's how this question is going to be, um, uh, 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 th- that's how it's going to proceed in the short run. I think long run, Lincoln is exactly right when he says a house divided cannot stand um, in his time, he meant we couldn't be half free and half slave. Uh, I think in our time, we can't be half pro-choice, half uh, pro-life. I think eventually we will need federal legislation. Uh, I think properly understood, the 14th Amendment does speak to this question when it says that no state can deprive any person of the equal protection of law or the due process of law. And then it delegates power to Congress to enact legislation to guarantee that no state deprives someone equal protection of the law. Uh, I think the unborn child is clearly a person within the meaning of the 14th Amendment. Uh, But if we don't have a Congress that's willing to act on that, if we don't have a Supreme Court that's willing to act on that, you know, the ultimate solution may be a constitutional amendment that makes it very clear. But I do think the long-term solution uh, here, uh, uh, it's going to be principled incrementalism at the service of the full abolition of abortion. Um, you know, so so we take the state victories here and now as we can. And, you know, Texas a year ago passed the heartbeat bill. Indiana just you know a few days ago passed their bill. And we're going to make you know a patchwork of progress at the state level. But that needs to be at the service of eventually every life being protected, being valued, being served. Uh, and there's a lot of work to be done. Well, I appreciate that you mentioned the particular states. Uh, I followed that Kansas part just enough to know that. They did uh, lie about what was in that. They told people that no exceptions existed for life of the mother, and that was never true. But uh, Kentucky, uh, my own state, just yesterday 
had news on this. Uh, we had a law that protected life that would be triggered uh, yep. once Roe was overturned. And our Attorney General, Daniel Cameron, uh, supported, of course, upholding that. But activist judge got in the way and said, uh, no, don't, don't do that. Well, yesterday, the 8th of August, 2022, our uh, Court of Appeals said, knock it off activist judge uh here's emergency relief for you attorney general cameron uh, the the law is in effect and we do have a ballot initiative in kentucky in november called yes for life i hope that people won't be fooled by the uh, certain lies that are going to come like well this is going to not protect people uh if there's a life-threatening thing or anything like that uh it's simply reaffirming that we meant what we said when we sent pro-life legislators to Frankfurt, our capital, and they voted strong enough for a pro-life bill that they overruled our uh, our governor, who of course vetoed it. Our governor is a leftist, and he wants Planned Parenthood to be the most vital and important thing in our state. He proved it in 2020 when he shut down everything but that. There's lots more on the topic. Uh, there's been a great discussion. Everyone, buy a copy of Tearing Us Apart by Dr. Ryan Anderson and Alexandra DeSanctis. So thank you much, uh, Ryan. I, I'm really grateful for the time you shared with me, and thanks for being my guest again on Core Principles. Listeners, uh, I hope that you've gotten as much out of this as I have because uh, Dr. Anderson uh, has great knowledge to share on this and also practical application. I hope you also took encouragement uh, from the things he shared with us. God bless you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be with you. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information and please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.